A Florida couple heads to space. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. Next week, Blue Origin's New Shepard rocket is set to take six people to the edge of space and back. Central Florida couple Sharon and Mark Hogel will be on the flight from West Texas. Sharon Hogel is the founder and CEO of Space Kids Global, a nonprofit organization aimed at getting kids, especially girls, interested and excited about STEM learning. She hopes to share her experience in space with future explorers and highlight all the different career paths that lead to space. We'll talk with Sharon and Mark about their upcoming mission, how they're preparing for flight, and what they hope to bring back down to Earth. Then, NASA is focusing on climate change, specifically observing our changing climate from space. The agency named a new head scientist who will also serve as a senior client advisor, but NASA's focus on climate isn't new. It's been observing the Earth's climate for more than 50 years. What is new is the renewed focus on missions aimed at tracking climate-related data from space and inspiring action down here on Earth. Four missions are set to launch just this year with that goal in mind. To talk more about NASA's past and future efforts to monitor and mitigate climate change, we'll revisit an earlier conversation with NASA's Karen St. Germain, the director of NASA's Earth Science Division. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin is sending another crew of people next week on a suborbital flight to the edge of space and back. The company's guest is Saturday Night Live's Pete Davidson, and five other paying customers are going with him. Two seats will have Central Florida couple Mark and Sharon Hogel. Mark is a real estate developer, and Sharon runs a nonprofit aimed at getting young children interested in STEM education. They head to West Texas Saturday to prepare for the trip. But before they left Florida, they spoke with us about their expectations of the flight and what they hope to bring back with them when they return. Mark, Sharon, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you. Uh, so let's start. This has got to be super exciting. You've got a uh, a flight coming up next week. I mean, what's going through your 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 minds right now? We're going to space. <laughs> You know, uh, with with the uh, announcement this morning, it really amplified the feelings. Until then, it was just, oh, we're going to go to space. It's going to be exciting. But now we're really starting to feel the energy associated with it. And when we fly out to Van Horn, Texas, and we go to the astronaut village, I'm sure it's going to be out of this world. Well, and, and we've been under an NDA for so long. It, it's, it's exciting to be able to talk to people about this now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me a bit about um, when did you know that you were you were selected, or when did you know that you were getting this mission, and and how long did you have to keep that secret? I, I no, I I think we I think we knew we had an opportunity to go to space uh, probably last fall. We weren't sure when that might be. It was Christmas actually. Yeah. We got the call from Blue saying that we were going to be the NS twenty flight. And on crew four. And that happened two days before Christmas. Yes. Oh, what what a great gift, huh? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so this is an incredible opportunity. Um, you've known since since um, Christmas that you are going to be on board this particular mission. Uh, but we are now a week away. Um, you've, you've talked about the excitement. But, Sharon, I, I've, I've seen you talk to students that you've been thinking about this for a very, very long time. Um, what is going through your mind now that you know that it's actually going to happen in, in just a few short days? 
Well, I think the benefit for the next generation is now right at their doorsteps to be able to share this opportunity with the kids because that's how Space Kids Global got started was the fact that kids needed to have, kids needed to make learning fun again. So doing our hands-on projects with different partnerships throughout the country have really made a difference to these kids because at the beginning they were talking about that they thought the only job in the space industry was an astronaut. And I think it's important for them to understand that there's a whole village behind these launches and space is for everyone. We need doctors, chefs, launch directors, everyone's invited. It's going to be a series that is uh, being put together right now called What Kids Want to Know. And uh, that's where Sharon uh, is going to be interviewing people in the space industry at all levels of industry and all, all work levels of industry is a better way to say it. Uh, we've already, Sharon's already interviewed Peggy Whitson, the astronaut that is just super famous. This, this woman is amazing. And there's others scheduled to be interviewed. And as that is put together and published, I think it's going to expose to the children what the opportunities might be if they set their dreams high enough. Uh, Mark, going to space, especially at this time um, in kind of the, the trajectory of commercial space flight, is very expensive. Um, how important is it to you to be able to share this experience um, with these kids? And, and is that kind of top of mind when you purchase these seats? Absolutely. You know, um, the whole thing is about what we can do for the children and what we can do for, the, for, for encouraging them to go into STEM fields. And uh, Sharon says it best when she does her presentations to people and talks about the importance of Space Kids Global. Uh, there's going to be over three and a half million jobs in the STEM industry that are not going to be filled unless something happens to encourage kids to start studying science, technology, engineering, math, the arts, the things that are important to develop technology and develop the opportunities for the future. I started the company in March 2015. And at that time, no one was really focused on elementary school kids. Our audience is between 5 and 12 years old. And I think it's important that we start extremely early. Um, I was following Dr. Michio's cuckoo quote when he said, if we don't have kids hooked in math and science by 6 and 7, we've lost them. So this is a perfect opportunity for the kids to watch that dreams do come true. Mm-hmm. And and this is an incredible time for these kids to see what's happening. I mean, it's not just Blue Origin that is launching. There are there are other commercial uh, space tourism companies and also other space companies that are, are launching quite regularly, as you both know, living here in Central Florida. I mean, what's been the response to the to the kids uh, since you started this organization in 2015? Some you know six or seven years ago. <laughs> well, out of the mouths of babes, that's what they always say, right? Uh, we get so many comments from kids all ages, but the, the one I really liked the most was a little seven-year-old that wrote in. She, she said, when you speak, I want to listen. When my brother does, I don't. <laughs> you know, it, it's so exciting that kids are listening and that they're sending their comments. Some say, I didn't know anything about space until you came to school. We didn't know there were other vehicles that went to space. So I think the more information we give them at that early age to pique their imagination and curiosity, the better it's going to be. And do it in a way that's fun for them and do it in a way that they enjoy participating. 
that's the important part. Mm -hmm. How did you both uh, become so passionate about space? Um, Mark, you don't have a, a background in space, do you? You're, you're a real estate developer. <laughs> um, well, and, until until we start developing stuff on the moon, uh, I don't think we'll, we'll we'll need those skills just yet. But how did how did you guys uh, get this get so passionate about space exploration? Well, actually, I was raised in Central Florida, and I remember when I was a very young child, uh, I was out on a raft in in a lake here in the Orlando area, and with my next door neighbor, and we watched a Vanguard rocket be launched into space. And it made it up uh, about halfway into the sky before it blew up. And I remember that was my first memory of, of space travel. And, uh, and as I've said on previous interviews, the thing that really brought it around is when John Kennedy uh, challenged the United States to put a man on the moon. And uh, that encouraged an entire generation. And uh, what you don't know, uh, what you've not said about my background is I went to Purdue University. And I started majoring in physics because I wanted to be associated with the space industry. I graduated in electrical engineering. Uh, so my career path, as it turned out, was not as I anticipated. It never is. And, and I encourage children when they go to school, stay open. Uh, allow your imagination to take you where you really enjoy being. And you'll have a lot of fun in your life. And, and Sharon, what about you? Where did, where did your passion start? Was it uh, as young as... Uh when Mark uh, discovered the, his enjoyment of space? Well, now I really am showing my age. I remember listening to uh, the PA system back in 1961 when Alan Shepard did the same flight. Um, you know, you're thinking as a child, oh my God, this is so exciting, but it's a long way from West Virginia to Kennedy Space Center. So again, just to open the kid's imagination, if opportunities come to you, by all means, jump on them. And I mean, it's not lost on me that, that you will be riding in New Shepard, uh, which will be a very similar trajectory to that 1961 launch, right? We had a very interesting opportunity at Kennedy Space Center to meet Alan Shepard's daughter uh, and got to know her very well. And she's now a good friend. In fact, she flew on the last flight with Blue Origin. And uh, she's told us what her experience was and her excitement, and it's fun to share that. Yeah, that was going to be my question: is have you have you talked to any folks who have been on on these particular uh, New Shepard missions, but also spaceflight in general, about what you should be thinking about, what you should be doing to experience the moment? What have you learned? I think one of the most important things we've learned is when we were doing our training at NASA in Philadelphia. That's where the NASA astronauts all trained. Was going through the simulation of the centrifuge, that being zero gravity flies by in seconds. And we need to focus on the great picture outside the window rather than doing the M&Ms up and all that stuff because it's a short time period. Your energy level is so high, your excitement is so high that if you truly don't concentrate on the opportunity that you've been given, you're not going to remember it. And we've we've heard some people tell us those kinds of stories where they wish they had. Uh, so we've, we've learned from those lessons and we're going to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Are you bringing anything special with you? We're allowed to uh, bring a pouch on board that carries three pounds of things. There's certain things we can't take, anything that's uh, in a bottle or, you know, the, the things you would worry about with pressure and electronics. But yes, uh, we have some uh, private things that we're taking to space that we're going to share with family and friends. And you know, you have you have spoken to a lot of children, um, students, especially um, young girls, about getting them interested in this. Um, what have you heard from them um, 
about how they view space exploration these days. It's it's much different than when I was growing up as a kid. I grew up watching the space shuttles, um, but they've got a brand new fleet of rockets that they get to follow and a brand new set of, of people that are, are making space happen. How do, how do they describe this moment in time uh, of space exploration? Oh, I keep thinking back to when we flew 21 science projects to the International Space Station last summer with uh, SpaceX here at Kennedy Space Center. And if you could see these girls, eyes light up and, and just so excited about being part of the space program, uh, it was priceless. Wonderful. And and finally, you know, what do you hope to inspire uh, with this particular mission? What, what, what do you want its impact to be when you get back here on Earth? You know, um, we're partnered with Club for the Future, which is Blue Origins Charity, which also is encouraging uh, STEM education. Um, and with that partnership, we're being exposed to a number of school superintendents, initially in Florida and eventually throughout the United States. And it's going to increase our reach and increase our opportunity to be able to reach many more children than we have so far. So far, Sharon's had the opportunity to be involved with a little over 100,000 kids. Take that across the country and eventually around the world because she's working on contacts in various countries and bringing it to locations other than the United States. So it's truly a function of uh, gearing this uh, charity up and maintaining the quality presentation that's there and just encouraging the little girls and little boys to have a lot of fun and, and go to space. And I'll be doing a lot of speaking engagements after I return to Earth. And I will be bringing my little mascot, Saba, who goes with me everywhere in, this, in the elementary schools. And most of the kids know of him by now. In fact, uh, we just learned this a little while ago. We didn't know it until it was pointed out to us. But on the mission patch that Blue Origin has designed for this particular mission, if you look at the feet of the astronaut that's floating in space, there's paw prints on her feet, and they put them there in honor of Sabla. And they're making a space suit for Sabla. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, that's wonderful. Well, Sharon and Mark, I, I hope you both will, will chat with me when you're back here on Earth and, and tell me about the experience. But until then, um, we will all be following along um, and, and super excited about your upcoming mission. Uh, thank you both for, for speaking with me. Thank, thank you, you very all. much. Appreciate your support. That was Sharon and Mark Hogel, members of Blue Origin's NS-20 mission, launching next week from West Texas. Still to come, NASA's eyes are on the changing climate. How will the agency track it from space? Are we there yet? Is back in a minute. You're listening to Are We There Yet? here on WMFE. I'm Brendan Byrne. Four missions are set to launch this year to monitor climate change from above. From tracking ocean temperatures, sea level rise, and extreme weather, these observation missions aim to help better understand our changing climate and build models to forecast future changes. The data aims to inspire action, motivating us Earthlings to mitigate the problems caused by this changing climate. Earlier this year, we spoke with Karen St. Germain, who oversees these missions at NASA. She's the head of the agency's Earth Science Division and joins us to talk about these efforts. Karen, thanks for joining us. It's great to be with you, Brennan. So, Karen, let, let's talk about, um, historically, NASA's role in monitoring uh, a changing climate on this planet. What has it done in the past? NASA is the U.S. space agency that has the end-to-end -end capability to observe the Earth from, from space and deliverable, deliver actionable science. 
And NASA has been doing this for decades. And what I mean by end to end is we develop the technology and the mission concepts to look back at our Earth and make the observations we need. We design or, or build and, or acquire the systems that can make those observations. We launch them, we collect the data, we, we perform the research that gives us the understanding of the Earth system, and we uh, support the applications of that science. And, uh, and much of that work has supported our understanding of climate change. Karen, tell me, because this is for radio, uh, tell me what, what these things see. What, what, what kind of, what, what are you actually seeing from, from space? Well, the, the uh, systems that we launch that orbit the Earth, they look at, they, they give us this unique view of the whole Earth as a system. So they look at the ocean surface. They look at the ice in the Arctic. They, uh, they look at the atmosphere uh, and give us profiles of what's happening in the atmosphere. And of course, they look at uh, what's happening on land and, uh, and including things like soil moisture and uh, vegetation and, and those sorts of things. So the idea is we look at all of the elements of the Earth system, and that allows us to understand how the Earth works as a system, model it, and get to a predictive capability. This has been part of NASA's history for almost 50 years now with with a bulk of of a lot of this these missions launching in the 90s but you know going into the 2020s here and with with this NASA administration there is a, a huge focus on earth observation as it comes to monitoring climate change what's ahead there i believe there's what four missions just this year that are that are launching i mean tell tell me about the motivation for for NASA's interest in the here and now and and these missions that are happening this year? We have about 23 different uh, uh, missions on orbit today. And as you said, we'll be be launching a number of new missions this year. We have have had strong support both within the administration and on Capitol Hill over decades for a sustained effort to understand the Earth as a system. So this portfolio of programs uh, is continuously evolving answer the next most uh, important uh, scientific questions about how the Earth system works. But in particular, I'll highlight two of our upcoming missions this year, uh, TROPICS and SWAT. The TROPICS is a a series of satellites. We'll start launching these in March, and they will collect high-resolution observations of precipitation and storm intensification, um, particularly over the oceans. And these are these are small satellites. These are CubeSats. Uh, it's a constellation of twelve CubeSats, each weighing uh, about eight pounds, or a little uh, the equivalent of about a gallon of milk. And these CubeSats will use uh, a technique called passive microwave radi- uh, spectrometry. It, they will provide soundings of temperature and moisture in the atmosphere and give us rapid refresh so we'll be able to see how storms intensify. Uh, and, and that's increasingly important, of course, because uh, with climate change, as the oceans warm, they are fueling these tropical storms and we're seeing more incidents of uh, intensification from tropical storm to hurricane, for example, mm-hmm. and increasing frequency of rapid intensification. And so we're really trying to understand under what circumstances does that happen? Mm-hmm. 
The other mission is a SWAT, that's the Surface Water and Ocean Topography Mission. And this is a collaboration with the French Space Agency, uh, CNES, and also uh, having contributions from the Canadian and UK space agencies. So it's a great example of uh, one of the ways that we, we do many of our missions is through international collaboration. Right. But SWAT is going to help us better understand the oceans and surface waters. So oceans, but also the smaller bodies of water inland and measuring how these bodies of water change over time. Um, and so they'll tell us how much water there is on our planet. And that's particularly important because today we don't have a good understanding of water in places uh, where it's hard to uh, to make measurements from the ground or from the air. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so this these this, of course, will help us uh, predict for coastal communities what kind of uh, changes they may see in their flooding. Likewise, river deltas and, and inland water bodies. Mm-hmm. So just a couple of the upcoming missions immediately. Mm-hmm. And then we are planning for the next generation of missions that we're calling the Earth System Observatory. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born and raised in Florida. I'm based here in Florida. So when, when you talk about storms and you talk about sea level rise, that's something that's that I'm very familiar with here. Is what we're going to learn from these two missions, both both SWAT and Tropics, is it going to have some kind of practical impact on on let's say Floridians who who may be impacted by these storms or who may be impacted by you know a, a rising sea level and a changing coastline? Absolutely, these missions will help us understand these processes much more clearly than we understand them today, and we work very closely. With our sister agency, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which provides uh, your operational weather forecasts. NOAA, uh, for example, is the the home of the National uh, Weather Service as well as the Hurricane Center. So when we advance the scientific understanding of storms and sea level rise and those kinds of things, we work with our sister agencies to make sure that information gets as quickly as possible into the operational pipeline to improve the routine forecasts that uh, that the whole country relies on. Mm-hmm. Karen, you mentioned something earlier that that you're excited not only because of the administration's um, buy-in on this, but also Capitol Hill for a, a prolonged missions. Um, I've got to assume with with data like this, you know, point in time data is is probably very valuable. But you're looking at overall trends over a long period of time, right? I mean, is is that why this these kind of prolonged missions are so important? Is to find these trends and, and identify these trends and in, in these changing data points? Yeah, that's that's one of the key elements here: observations and observations over time and improvements, new capabilities, the ability to observe things we haven't observed before. That leads us to better understanding of how the system works, the Earth system, that is. And, and when you understand how the system works, you can model the system. And that modeling is what gives you the predictive capability, the ability to look out into the future and understand how things may continue to evolve. And that's really the key to preparedness and response to climate change. And it's important for every county in the United States. 
That was going to be my next question. I, I see your your picture behind you there that says Earth Science in Action. We talked about the Earth. We talked about the science. Uh, how is how is this these missions and and the work that you're doing in your office going to help kind of inspire or motivate action? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and it's one that I am uh, deeply passionate about. Is is press what I call pressing science into action, helping uh, to inform decision makers at every level, federal, state, local, community, tribal to make informed decisions. And uh, so I'll give you some examples. Uh, we work very closely to uh, help monitor and predict uh, drought and, and uh, water management approaches in the western part of the United States. We work closely with the Department of Agriculture on the, the reports and the uh, the the tools that the agriculture community really relies on to inform their decisions. And then, of course, uh, likewise, and we've, we've been talking about uh, the collaboration with NOAA to make sure that we're informing our ability to predict not just hurricanes, but also severe weather inland. We've seen record-breaking uh, tornado outbreaks and uh, and those sorts of things. So, so that transition of the understanding we get from the scientific research, pushing that out to to help people make decisions at every level is uh, is an important part of our program. Mm-hmm. What about kind of ordinary citizens or or the general public? I mean, is, is this data made available to them in a way that they can understand what's happening in, in their own neighborhoods, their own backyards? It is. We, we sustain a, a significant presence on the web, for example. All of our data are free and openly available. And, and we write a lot of stories about how the data, uh, where, they, where the data or the understanding comes from and what it means. Um, and, uh, and we're always looking to improve the way we, we talk with the general public about what we know, and just as importantly, how we know it, why we know it's true, mm-hmm. and and help them understand the the uh, the changes that are coming in a way that is meaningful to them. And finally, Karen, what are you hoping to understand or gain over the next, say, five or ten years with with some of these missions that are launching? Well, you know, one of the things that I am most excited about is that we're starting the this this year, we're starting work on the next generation. By the end of this decade, what we are trying to put in, in uh, into orbit is something called the Earth System Observatory. It is five new missions that together give us a holistic view of the Earth. We have missions on there that that uh, explore the atmosphere, the ocean, the land surface, the ice. And this, treating all of these missions as a single observatory, will give us a dramatically improved view of the whole Earth system. So we're working hard to build that so that by the end of this decade, we're in a much better position than we even are today. That was Karen St. Germain, the head of NASA's Earth Science Division. That conversation first aired back in January. That's going to do it for this week's show. Be sure to subscribe to this show's podcast feed. Do that on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or do it the old-fashioned way. Visit wmfe.org slash are we there yet. 
Are We There Yet? is a production of WMFE, America's Space Station. Editorial guidance this week from LaToya Dennis. Production assistance this week from our intern, Beatrice Oliveira. Support for Are We There Yet? comes from our listeners. And until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.